Well, good morning, First Church. It is so wonderful to be with you today on this lovely Palm Sunday. You know, the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to Dee just about how wonderful it is that on Sunday mornings, all over the world, but particularly in this room, there are Christians who gather together just to orient themselves around some kind of light to help us navigate a world that can be really dark sometimes. Um, the entirety of my experience in ministry working at a church has been in the middle of a global pandemic and the verge of World War III. So it has been pretty chaotic to you know, be in ministry and to also pastor young people in the process. And we've got middle schoolers and week after week, they're talking about the conflict in Ukraine with Russia. And so figuring out how to how to orient ourselves around light in the midst of all of this is really challenging. And I love this church so much because I feel like week after week, I look to my right and I look to my left and I know that I'm not alone. So I am so grateful for this church and I'm really excited to lift up Christ with y'all this morning. Um, I'm gonna invite Rick and Tim to come read our call to worship this morning. Good morning. In Christian tradition, the Sunday before Easter is either focused on Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem or on Jesus' journey to the cross. An emphasis on the former is often referred to as Palm Sunday. An emphasis on the latter is typically called Passion Sunday. This morning, we will have some elements of both storylines. As sometimes happens in life, the triumphant moments can be followed by pain, loss, defeat, and confusion. In addition, most of life, uh, in addition, most of life is comprised of neither triumphant nor tragic periods, but rather the ordinary routine found in taking care of regular needs of life. We hope 
you will find all three of these components in this morning's worship service. Our opening reading is coming from Luke 22, verses 14 through 24. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the one by whom he is betrayed. Then he began, they began to ask one another which one of them it could be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. The Gospel of our Lord. God, we thank you that you poured your life into us, that you offered yourself so that we may become whole. We desire you this morning, Lord. voices to you.
let me paint the picture for you this morning. Think about this. Jerusalem has heard that Jesus is coming. Jesus goes and he grabs a colt, not like the best steed in the world, but grabs the colt. And word has come out that this crowd is coming. And let me read this for you. The crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that follow shout, oh, look, from the south of the building, there's a crowd right there. They're coming in right now. Oh, yes, and they're waving their palms. And they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Oh, beautiful. We are so lucky that we get to see the crowd come into our church today. Look at them. And we imagine this morning what the Hosanna, what the praises of God sounded like. And maybe they sounded something like this. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come on your way among us, welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hear the sound. this morning is laying the palms at the feet of the cross you may be seated wow this is fantastic and I love this thanks kids and all workers who have made this just extra special great to have you here this morning my name is Dee and as always what a privilege it is to join you in this worship service together 
as we lift up Christ. Um, one of the great privileges that we have as a church and that I have as a pastor is to participate in the dedication and or baptism of children, infants that uh, have become part of our congregation and sometimes some who have gone beyond that stage but parents are wanting to make this part of the journey of their life and the privilege this morning of having the Pitkin family be part of this um, dedication that we all get to participate in. And so I'm going to ask, Jordan, you want to come up with the crew, AJ? And uh, um, we've lost one. Oh, yeah. Do we, do we need to stall or, or we can continue a bit? And I'm going to ask as well, yeah, Kathy and Jim, come on up here. Grandparents, what an essential part of this. And um, we've just lost uh, Jordan, so I guess it's just going to be you, Judah. So um, I think, oh, it, it's, I didn't realize that we were about to miss out on uh, <laughs> Georgia. Yes. It's fantastic. So just for introduction's sake for all of you, on my far left, uh, AJ's parents were able to make it. Jim and Kathy, great to have you here. And then you know our wonderful youth uh, children's pastor who's been on this journey with us for longer than she's been employed in this position. So thrilled, Jordan, that I get to participate in working with you and the joy of also getting to have your family nearby around at various times during the week as well as right now. Um, AJ, um, thanks for, I, it was a couple Sundays ago where I think you had four different roles in the service. You were back on the guitar, you came up here and did a reading, I interviewed you, and I forget what the fourth thing was, you probably ushered as well, so thanks for your involvement. And then we have the electric smile here of, uh, Banner, how are you? Yeah, okay, good. So we, we've got, uh, since AJ kind of led the way with initials, um, we have uh, J.A. over here, kind of the inverse of your father, Judah Alexander, and then we have G.J. down here, Georgia James. You finally got the smile. It took a long time because you're a little ticked that we took you out of here, and we have B.P. over here, British Petroleum. I'm sorry, uh, Banner Paul um, is, yes, <laughs> thank you. The only one in the congregation that laughs at anything I say, so thanks so much. <laughs> there is uh, a wonderful process that's part of this that is the acknowledgement of all of the role we played. Let me go through those things first and foremost, though. Um, to the grandparents, there is a very important role you play in all of this. My guess is you know it intuitively, as maybe is well thought it through, but Scripture calls you to very simply share your life story age appropriate with your kids to just let them know of what your journey is like and how Christ has been part of your life and God's role in all of that. And it's just simply to not only say it, but to live it out. It's to give testimony to that. And that's part of the role you play in all of this. And I am confident as I've watched the two of you that that's something that you welcome. And so I'm glad that you are here. Jordan and AJ have very important role that you play in raising up your children in ways so that they can see love exhibited in the two of you and see love exhibited flow through you, through you to others and then to see the way in which that plays itself out in holding your kids both accountable and challenged and loved and forgiven and in the image of God 
and to let them over and over again know of that love that God has for them. So I'm gonna ask you very specifically a willingness to step into that role and to be for them what God has called you to be with all of its challenges and issues, but willing to do that, will you say we will? We will. This requires a community that comes in behind, holds them, prays for them, lifts them up, lets them know that you are in their corner, but not only that, a willing to, willingness to participate, not in correcting their parenting, but instead coming alongside and um, providing for them the kinds of things that allow them to regain their strength, to be nurtured, to care for their children, to love them in every way. So as a congregation, we're called into this participation. If you're willing to do that as God gives you the availability and the time to do so, will you please say we will? Nice, I hope you heard that. Now you can hold them accountable starting right now. Just call them right up. That's Can right. you do that like a little bit louder? Thing? Yeah. yeah. All of those willing to participate as God strengthen you, please stay. We will. Yes. Way to call us out on that, AJ. Okay, now for the three of you, in the midst of your brother crying, all of this, I get the privilege of pronouncing a prayer and blessing on each of you. Is that okay? Okay. I'm going to do that for you first, Jude, Okay. Okay, I'm going to come right beside you. I'm going to kneel down. And I'm just going to pray and pronounce a blessing all at once. All right? Let's join together. Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I thank you for this wonderful young man. And my prayer is that Judah, in the midst of all of the wonderful sensitivities that you have given him, help him to be compassionate, not only to what's going on inside of him, but to the needs of others. I pray as well that he grows up, that his physical stature, Lord, leads him to a place of courage to stand up for what is right, as well as to be the champion for others who need a champion. And Lord, I pray that because of your spirit dwelling inside of him, that he would have the confidence that comes with knowing that he is made in the image of his creator and that that changes everything. So, Lord, bless him, pour out your love on him. Make a pathway that he knows is so obvious to follow because he's following you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Bless you, brother. Georgia, I'm going to pray for you now. Is that okay? Okay. I'm going to come right over to where you are. Can I put my hand right here? Okay. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you please bless this wonderful woman. May her boundless energy Lead her to places where she looks for the good in everyone. And may the unique way in which she sees and understands life and speaks it out loud, will you somehow enable her to see all of the complicated problems in the world and come up with marvelous, simple solutions that make it better not only for herself but for the rest of us. And may your indwelling spirit that lives in her Give her the um, freedom, Lord, that comes with knowing that she is made in your image, in the image of her creator. So, Lord, go before her, come in behind her, and surround her in every way. May she know your love and grace and your purpose in her life. Amen. Do you think Banner would let me hold him? Okay. Banner, we're going to try. Come to me, okay? There we go. Yep, 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 yep. 
I'm going to step right out here, okay, so you can see everybody, and I'm going to pray for you. Oh, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless this amazing little one. And Lord God, in the position of being third-born, may you give this one the wisdom that comes with being able to see what has gone before, but also give Banner the hope of that which can yet be. And so, Lord, I offer as well my hope and prayer with your blessing that this one would tackle life with a tenacity, but also a beautiful simplicity, one who looks to you for guidance and love and becomes in his family an anchor point of peace. So, Lord, watch over this one, and may he know that with your spirit dwelling within, that he has within him the joy of what it means to be created in the image of his creator. And for all of that, Lord, we expect you to guide and direct and make a pathway clear for this wonderful young man. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, as part of our commitment and our gratitude for this wonderful family, let's just say thanks. Thanks be to God. Um, this is the time, Austin, can I um, offer on behalf of us and all of us joining together the prayer that we have for our children as we send them off to Children's Church. So join me if you will. This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Love you, kids. Have a great morning. I thought I'd take a moment to name the elephant in the room that there's some instruments here on stage that may look unfamiliar. Um, and I didn't, sorry I didn't tell any of you all this, but I think it'd be great to just show off kind of what we're working with here. Well, Randy, Randy was holding a banjo earlier. Um, beautiful. And then Randy is now currently holding a dulcimer. Can you show us just a little bit of what that sounds like? Dulcimer. Yeah, great. McKenna's a very talented classical guitar, acoustic guitar player and so happy to have her. Um, she's got like some really cool tuning going on here. And then the next instrument here is sitting right next to Denise. It's called the harmonium. And it's kind of like an accordion and a piano together. Do you mind just doing? Yeah, that's true. Very cool drumming sound. And then that's our drummer. And then, uh, <laughs> 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 gotta do a drummer joke. <laughs> Gabe is actually playing a pretty stripped down kit. He's got some broomsticks um, that he's using. And then he's uh, sitting on a cajon, which you've seen people play before, but we're using it as a kick drum. And then Julius is supplying some awesome electric stuff. And then our last instrument is being played by Andrew. He's playing mandolin. You can, yeah. Earlier I told the band, I was like, I feel like we're in like a, like a green field in Ireland. Just laying, like, letting the sun just shine on me. Oh, it's so good. Um, I want to just preface this next song. During uh, my 
meditation of what to offer for Palm Sunday, a song came out of it. And um, there's these verses that are looking to paint the picture a little bit of what it what it been like to be standing alongside the road as Jesus is riding in um, and understanding Jesus's humility and um, the hopefulness that comes with what does this mean? Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. There is there's hope for us now that our, our King is here, our Savior's here um, after the really long, long wait for a Savior. Um, and I think these choruses are a beautiful way to bridge us in time here where there are, there's that scene that was set thousands of years ago, but we are still able to continue the practice of, of having Jesus come in and waving our palms. And so I'm, we're going to play this song and feel, feel free to sing in the choruses if you catch, catch on, but we want to sing this over you this morning. Um, and then uh, in the middle of our song, I'll invite you to stand as we close out and worship together. Our Savior is here, our wait is done. Grace and love will overcome. Our cries to Jesus fills the road with songs of praise and shouts for hope. Our palms lifted, our hearts given to you. Our praise singing, our lives given to you. To you. Three. 
peace and love will overcome Would you stand with us? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh Lord, we sing that you are with us. You heard the cry of our heart.
God, we cry out to you, Hosanna, save us, save us. As we mark today the day of remembering your journey to Jerusalem, as you are carrying hope and joy and love for your people, we hold that same hope today as you look to make us whole. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning. My name is Matt Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I, I don't know about you, but I've just been enjoying the worship this morning. Thanks for the band. Thanks for the child dedication. This has been so phenomenal. Got a few things going on this week. It is Holy Week. And so we got a jam-packed week for y'all. Uh, but before we do that, if you have a bulletin on you or if uh, you have this wonderful QR code ahead of you, you can uh, take your smartphone and scan it over and a Google form will pop up. And it's, it's just a way for us to know that you're here, that you are uh, with us today. This is another way that if you want to communicate with us, your church staff, about anything going on in your life, it's a confidential way for you to do so. Uh, so I'd love for you to be a part of, of checking in either right now with a QR code or in your bulletin. All right, what I'm going to do is just walk you through the events of this coming week, okay? So starting Wednesday, we have Seasons of Prayer. It's our final one of the Seasons of Prayer. It's with Dr. Mike Lodal. He's going to be sharing on how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. It itself is a prayer, but kind of the nuances and the, the richness of that prayer. would invite you to that starting at 6.30. Also, if you would like to join the Easter Choir, you can come show up. And, and learn the songs for Easter Choir. That is going to be happening in the Ellipse at the same time, 6.30. Uh, we have kids programming going on, so obviously you need to co uh, coordinate that with uh, the children's department. But please come to one of these events this week on Wednesday. As a part of Wednesday, it is our uh, final youth group from our youth pastor, Malin. So please come. Uh, that is going to be from 7.30 to 8.30. It's an open reception just to come, say hi, say goodbye to Malin, and, and uh, to just interact with our youth, our youth staff, and, and say goodbye to Malin. That's happening 7.30 to 8.30, same time on Wednesday. There's Wednesday. Thursday, we have pickleball. And you might be thinking, like, okay, like, this is a very holy, sacred week. Yes, and pickleball itself is sacred because it's the building of community, the building of our congregation through smacking a wiffle ball around. So come 6.30 in the gym. Uh, if you have a pickleball uh, paddle, bring it. If you don't, totally cool. Just come anyways and have fun with us. Friday. We've got our Good Friday service. That will be at 7 o'clock here in Brown Chapel. Uh, it is a, a, a reflection on and the journey towards the cross on, and, and Jesus' crucifixion. So come uh, be a part of that celebration. Saturday, 10.30, out in the Friendship Plaza and all over our campus is going to be our Easter jam. Bring your kids, bring the family. We're going to be uh, having some snacks, activities. The Easter Bunny will be here. I won't tell you who the Easter Bunny is, but they are doing a work. They're doing God's work in that Easter Bunny cert. 
And uh, we'll be hiding eggs, and it's a good time for families to come out and and participate in uh, the life of our church. And then Easter morning, 1030 here in Brown Chapel, our Easter celebration. If you come anytime before 1030, you can partake in all of the refreshments we'll have on the Friendship Plaza. There won't be any Sunday school. So if you do come for Sunday school, you're just early to the party. So come join us for uh, our Easter celebration, 1030 Sunday morning. Really looking forward to the events of this week and invite you to all of that which has taken place. At this time, I would love to invite Ian up. Where is Ian? There's my man, Ian. We have been uh, doing some interviews uh, of the people of this congregation, those who come and, and a part of the life of our church. Ian is one of those, one of those guys. Uh, I have known Ian uh, since I was a youth pastor, if you want to grab that mic, Ian. And I've known Ian for a while, but I would love for you all to get to know Ian. So Ian, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I've been going to the youth group for nine years now, uh, volunteering and just going to the youth group as a student. Uh, I work at Poma's in OB. Um, Great sandwich shop. Um, and Clearly feeds many of our congregants. Yep. <laughs> uh, Ian, how did you first come to our church? Um, I had a really good friend named Leo Lopes who uh, invited me for the first time in middle school and I came with him. And so from middle school on through even now, you've been a part of the youth ministry as a student and also as a youth staff. Um, Tell us a little bit about uh, your time in youth group and on youth staff. Um, Youth group is pretty awesome because I have pretty much all my best friends from there, Uh, like my friend Nolan Moorwood. Uh, A lot of my uh, former staff are like really good friends now. I hang out with them all the time. Um, just like the community was like a big part of youth group. And then being a, uh, staff now, it was cool, uh, getting to know a bunch of like the kids that are in the same position I was like nine years ago. So you've been a part of the youth group for uh, probably going on what, like, uh, nine years? Yeah. Since middle school on and through, you graduated and then you continue working with the middle schoolers and on through to today. Yep. Um, that's a big breadth of time. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what was a, an impactful time for you, uh, either as a student in the youth group or as a youth staff. Um, something just like I was saying, the community, like all my closest friends are from the uh, youth group, and just uh, being able to meet all of them. And during like really hard times, uh, we all stuck together, and it was like having a really good uh, small group of friends who you could always count on to be there for you. And also just uh, like youth group and like the games, that was a major part of it. Oh, games are the best. Games are the best. Yeah, on Wednesday or going to camp. Oh yeah, yep. so much fun. We had tried to play like every version of dodgeball we could mm-hmm. because once, do- you, once you're throwing uh, rubber balls at each other, you gotta make you gotta, it interesting. You gotta mix it up. Yeah, exactly. You can only do that for so long. Ian is going to be transitioning out as being a youth staff when Malin transitions out. And so I wanted you all to know my friend Ian. He has such a heart uh, for our kids, for our our, um, mid-hires, as somebody who's uh, just been in the background for uh, many years and somebody that I have 
grown to love. We've experienced much of life together. I would love for you to know Ian even further. If you see him in the back, catch him, say hi. He's one of the greeters on Sunday morning. Ian, thank you so much for your help on, uh, in youth group and, and being just an awesome person as an, in our church. Thank you. Before the choir sings, I would love to invite Bailey up for the reading of our word. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, choir. What a beautiful song on this uh, particular Sunday um, to set us up for a look at this passage. Before we jump into the passages this morning, I do want to make mention of a couple things quickly. First is, uh, often to my right, your left on Sunday mornings, um, is uh, uh, the Holly family that has gathered around to take care of Sheila Holly as her journey has um, been difficult sometimes with health. And I just wanted to say um, on behalf of them that they covet your prayers. Sheila this week contracted COVID and she seems to be doing okay, but um, when your health is compromised in other ways, it's always a huge concern. And so invite you into doing for them what they have been doing for this church for so many years and praying for us. Let's be praying for the Holly family. Um, Secondly, I do wanna say that Wednesday night, the 7.30 to 8.30 for Malin, um, Matt was correct in saying um, a goodbye of sorts, a a goodbye to being youth pastor here, but um, I really need somebody like this in my life who can say the phrase World War III with hope in her voice. I don't know how she did that during the opening welcome, but that kind of individual I need around, so it's, she's not leaving town, she's nearby, and it's just to say thank you on Wednesday night. Um, and then lastly, we have had so many uh, inquiries and comments and contributions in regard to the effort with the Ukrainians, um, many of whom are making their way to our border just south of us here, and are anticipating in the course of the next Uh, six to eight weeks, maybe as many as 10,000 coming across the border and receiving what is described as emergency parole status. And we are part of a network of Nazarene churches and the Nazarene district is a part of a network of at least six different church organizations to try and help with this. We have, uh, uh, the church through which we are funneling most of our efforts, the Spring Valley Church of the Nazarene, not too far away from us, and they are um, kind of coordinating the effort, both with supplies and a place for them to come immediately upon crossing where they can um, find some shelter and direction and help for the two days until they are processed and relocated. And so we have already as a church been able to contribute um, several thousands of dollars worth of goods and um, transportation and housing help and your funds that you've already started to give through our website goes straight to that. Probably the bigger need at this point for those who might be interested is, I put in the newsletter on Friday, a place where you can go to volunteer, and it's volunteer mostly at Spring Valley Church. Some of the stuff is on site, um, helping with the transition for individuals who are showing up, providing them supplies, getting them um, kind of registered at that location. But there are also some needs that aren't at the site. Um, People who are willing to do laundry for others, people who are willing to uh, transport them from there to the airport when their flight is in place. And they're just, it's so well done. You go to the site, there are the things you're willing to do and what shifts you can take or what hours are available. I encourage if you're interested um, to either go to our website, call the church office, or if you have that Friday newsletter, just click on that and I think it will help us participate in some wonderful ways. This morning, as was introduced by Tim and Rick, 
We are doing an interesting combination. Typically this Sunday is either Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. It's rarely both. You tend to pick one or the other. Palm Sunday is connected to those passages of scripture that talk about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Passion is about those things that lead toward the cross. Matt and I are going to um, unpack some of the passages. Matt, if you wanna come on up here. The readings actually, and in particular, one of the readings is the longest reading of all 625 that we have over the course of three years. It goes from uh, almost the beginning of um, Luke chapter 22 toward the end of Luke chapter 23. It's a long, long reading, and they just read the very opening of it. Um, it reminds me, I, I, years ago, probably 20 years ago, I did a sermon in chapel once where the sermon began where I was up on the stage and I had an ironing board out in front of me and uh, I had several shirts that were hanging and I had the iron on and I was just ironing. And I made the very poor joke that didn't ring true with college students at all. I get that. But Classic. it was that I was um, working out for the Ironman competition. Goodness gracious. But stay with me here. The reason that I remember this, and I'm sure no student remembers it, but it, it was that if our faith doesn't work in the mundane things of life, the in-between moments, then it's less likely to work in those moments that feel critical or crucial or painful or joyful or whatever the case might be. And I was just driving, trying to drive home the point that most of life takes place in places like the ironing board where it's not this crescendo or deep bottom. It has to live out in the everyday things that we do. However, there's something in the crucible of those triumphant moments and struggling moments that help refine or define our faith. And that's what we're looking at this morning. So Matt, between the triumph and the passion, talk us about the contrast of those. It's fascinating when you think of Christ's journey, that is coming into Jerusalem to celebration, to praise, to people shouting his name, proclaiming that he is the Messiah, to not six, seven days later, he's, he's risen from the dead, but before that, right, five days later, he's hanging on a cross as an enemy of the state, not victorious, not celebrated. That those don't seem like places of, I mean, one of these seems like a place of triumph, right? Of Jesus coming in to praise and, and wonderful palms with kids. And uh, not just five days later, he's, those same shouts are vastly different. That doesn't look like victory. And I think that is so much of what Paul says in the book of Romans when he's like, this is a, the cross is a stumbling block. It is something that it seems so foolish. How can we see victory there? No wonder we migrate so quickly to yeah. Palm Sunday. That's we just, what we usually do. We just jump right through. We go like, Palm yeah. Sunday. Okay, well, let's forget about Good Friday for a second. Yes. Let's go yeah. with the Easter Bunny. Yeah. And then like, Jesus is risen. Yeah, we so quickly move on. Yeah. 
Um, one of the things that we'll get to in just a few moments is about power issues, but there is some thought that in the same time of Jesus triumphantly in here in Jerusalem, something has taken place on the other side of the city, either the same day or within a few days. Yeah, the, uh, so we see in the Passion narrative, Pilate show up. And Pilate is the Roman governor of the area that is Jerusalem's a part of. And his main residence is not in Jerusalem. It would have been an event that Pilate was coming into the city. And he would have, Pilate would have come into the city a very similar way as Jesus, just with vastly different followers. He would have been coming in with the Roman military. He would have been coming in on horseback, victoriously as this is the the sign of of caesar right right coming in as victorious yeah uh, and, and you see the contrast in imagination for the early christians that jesus rides in not with the roman military and and not with oh, he comes in with fanfare but not the same kind of military victory fanfare yeah. that Pilate would have come in on so luke really sets up for us this power dynamic from the beginning of these passages that we read during this season to where we find ourselves at the crucifixion at the foot of the cross and plays itself off one another over and over again. But in the midst of this thematic movement, we have these little vignettes that happen in between that help refine our understanding both of faith and God's work and what's taking place. And we could look at a dozen different little vignettes that happen in this, but we're gonna look at two, and I hope that this might whet your appetite for the vignette approach we take Good Friday. So we certainly want to invite you back because that's driven by a number of vignettes that come right out of scripture. But we'd like to start off this portion with uh, a reading of Peter, and I believe it's Heather. Heather Hayes-Hague is gonna come up and read a portion of the storyline about Peter. I so knew that was gonna happen, and I did it still. (laughs) I was with Jesus that final week. I had been with him for years. In fact, I remember so clearly the first time I met him. He was walking along the shore on the Sea of Galilee. I was fishing just offshore with my brother Andrew. We were casting our nets into the lake. It wasn't for fun, it was our occupation. My family called me Simon. Jesus called me Peter. He called out to us that afternoon and said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Something inside me said that this was the right thing to do. So we left our nets and followed him. He was bold and courageous. I loved that, it was so exciting. But he was also patient and purposeful. Sometimes that drove me nuts. During his last week, we went with Jesus to, the, to a garden in a place called Gethsemane. And I have to confess that I felt confused by some of the things Jesus was saying. In fact, I felt like some of the notions I had about what we were trying to do seemed to be unraveling. But not for Jesus. He was even more purposeful, intentional, and prayerful. In fact, he took me and the two Thunder brothers, James and John, along with him to pray. But we were too tired. We fell asleep. I think when I look at 
the witnesses to Christ's last week. Peter just, I resonate with Peter's story in a way that it feels really embarrassing. <laughs> that Peter is a good Jewish boy. He was raised as a good Jewish boy. And when Christ calls him to follow, he does because he hears the good Jewish teaching. Mm. And he follows Jesus along. And, and he, when, he, when, when he's witnessing for three years all the miracles and the teaching that Jesus does, he gets it. He's like, nailed it. I totally, I get that. And to the point where when Jesus says, who do you think I am? Or who, he first starts as, who do, you, who do people say that I am? Be like, oh, yeah, you, you know, different prophets or Elijah or whoever. And then Peter pipes up and is like, you're the Messiah. And she's like, nailed it, got it. I am the Messiah. You're welcome. He's <laughs> like, yeah, we know, have known this all along. And then when Jesus then goes on to say, and the journey of the Messiah is one who's going to suffer, who's mm -hmm. going to take up a cross and die. The very uh, Isaiah passage that was read by Bailey Peter jumps in the mix and is like, hold on, time out, wait a minute. I don't think that's right. That's not it. That's not how it ends. And then Jesus, probably in one of his sternest rebukes, tells the Peter, get behind me, Satan. And then turns to the rest of the people and preaches that if you're going to be my follower, you're going to take up your cross and follow me. And Peter still witnesses all the things and has these anticipations and expectations of what Messiahship is for Jesus. I was raised in the church of the Nazarene. I feel like Paul when I say this, like uh, in that Paul in the first uh, Corinthians says, I was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Nazarene of Nazarenes. I'm fifth generation Nazarene. My grandfather was a Nazarene pastor. I know the gig. And yet I feel as if there are times where I'm like, ah, oh, man, I have these expectations and Jesus just turns them around. Mm. Yeah. I didn't have like a, this conversion moment. I, I kind of envy people who have this moment of conversion. I, I was Judah's age when I felt the call to follow Christ. I was a good Nazarene boy. And I still, at times, I'm like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, what is this? What? This is not what the kingdom of God is about, right? And I constantly get turned on my head. And I feel embarrassed that when Peter is talking and witnessing and all of this to what Jesus is doing, Jesus has to finally turn to him on the very last week of his life and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, I don't think so. Not at all. But when the moment comes and he's confronted with Jesus' arrest by those who are seeking to take him and mm. try him and kill him, Peter's move isn't it certainly wasn't to pray beforehand because he was asleep in the garden when Jesus was praying before this. <laughs> His move is to somehow grab a weapon and take somebody's head off. That's his move. He's been with Jesus for three years. He's a good Jewish boy, and his move is to violence. Somehow find a weapon, materialize a weapon, and he misses. Even that move, he misses and just chops somebody's ear off. So there he goes. That's fine. Don't worry about it. That's his move, is to choose violence rather than following Christ, to choose his ego, to choose what he thinks and his expectations. It, it is embarrassing for me to confess 
that so often I'm like, yeah, I'm Peter. When, when the rubber beats the road, I don't choose Christ's way. I choose my own way. Mm. I, I've been listening to Jesus' teachings for a long time, and I still miss it. It's embarrassing. And yet, oh, this is the clincher, and I don't get it, is that in Jesus' resurrected body, he meets with Peter and tells him he loves him three times. No, no, you don't get it. I love you. I love you. I love you. You're good. Feed my sheep. Be the rock of the church. Even in the midst of Peter missing it so hard, there's still redemption. That it baffles me. And I think in a similar way, in very different from kind of Joseph's story, Joseph of Arimathea, that Joseph has a different storyline, not totally different, but very kind of in the mix of what Peter's doing. Joseph's not a follower of Jesus. Tim, would you come up and share us Joseph of Arimathea's story? I remember Jesus' final words. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Nothing about this seemed right. The arrest, the trial, the torture, and the crucifixion. There is no doubt that he created division. It seemed like people either loved him or felt threatened by him. And it was precisely because so many people loved him that many of my peers felt threatened by him. I was more than intrigued by his teachings and his actions. I have longed for the kingdom of God to fully come. And I wondered if this could be that time and if he could be the one. I served on the council that put him on trial following his arrest. I disagreed with the council's decision and did not consent. I worried what my dissent might mean for my future, but their actions were simply not right. I showed up for the crucifixion. I may have been the only one of the council who did. My name is Joseph. I come from Arimathea. I went to Pilate secretly and asked for the body of Jesus. My request was granted. My friend Nicodemus and I took the body, wrapped it in linen and spices, and placed it in a new tomb. Thanks, Tim. I uh, feel like Peter is out front a character that has the spotlight in so many passages. Joseph seems to come out of the shadows and his words seem somewhat insignificant. His actions important. but It feels like we know very little about him the passages from which this vignette were drawn, John chapter 19, Luke chapter 23, they tell an interesting story of someone who had to have, much like other followers, been incredibly confused 
at what was taking place given the belief that Messiah had come. Transformation was supposed to take place. This was all supposed to look differently soon. But instead, an arrest, a trial, I don't think I knew till very recently that he was part of the council at the trial. And this confession that he was looking forward to the kingdom of God, that he didn't consent to what their decision was. I think about the shift from the triumphant moments to the times when obstacles seem insurmountable. I know that it's sometimes natural for us with something when we identify with Peter to just kind of shake our head, but there are times I look at Peter and I just go, wow, how very human of you, Peter. (laughs) I mean, I'm saying like Matt that being human comes with these responses to circumstances, particularly difficult circumstances that leaves us in places of Wondering where we wrong, do I regret my, what I said before? Am I going down the right path? Questioning myself, questioning others. I can't imagine in the council setting if Joseph, wondering if Jesus is the one, now sees the entire council turn on him, that it feels like his journey is unraveling. And here's my question for Joseph that I feel like Joseph answers for me. What do I do in the midst of that? I feel like a lot of us experience times where powerlessness robs us of our hope. Here's what Joseph does. First, he stands up for someone. I mean, it's Jesus, and looking back on it, wow, but in the moment, just a person on trial. And he stands up for a person on trial. He says, what we're doing doesn't make sense, doesn't fit. I heard the same things you heard, but this doesn't seem right. And in the midst of something that doesn't seem right, he just does a right thing. Then the crucifixion, he gives witness to it. One of the powerful things are how many Jewish people are there at the cross doing what Jewish people do. They give witness to life. They give witness to others. They show up in the presence of others. Even if they feel powerless, there is power and being a witness alongside of somebody else. Then he goes to Pilate, Pilate, and asks for the body of Christ. And what he does is he, along with Nicodemus, wraps the body in linens and spices. To one who has passed 
Joseph exhibits kindness. I'm sure it's kindness toward Jesus' mother, kindness toward others who might know Jesus. So in the midst of things unraveling and feeling powerless, Joseph simply does good. There is something incredibly powerful when good can't be snuffed out by circumstances. In the midst of this, there's no vision of resurrection, nothing that's in the offing. It's just, I know that I can do this good. I'm going to do that. Put that in the hands of my creator, the God I profess, and just keep doing what I believe is right. Which then takes us back to the discussion on power, Matt. This contrast that happens at the beginning of this particular narrative passage and lands at the cross. We typically jump toward Easter Sunday, but talk to us about the power of the cross. Yeah, it's really important to remind ourselves that the background of what's taking place, what brings Pilate into Jerusalem is the celebration of Passover Hmm. for the Jewish people. Passover being the celebration of uh, the Jewish people and their liberation from slavery out of Egypt. They're crossing the Red Sea into redemption, into atonement. And as a part of that journey, the thing that catalyzes their redemption is the sacrificing of a lamb Hmm. so that they can take that blood and put it over their their door sto- or their door frames. That this is the background in which they are recognizing that it is God who liberates. It is God who redeems. And that, that and, doesn't sit well with Rome, right? And that doesn't sit well with Rome. <laughs> yeah. They're not fans of that, and therefore <laughs> Pilate comes in and just makes sure everything's okay. Just yeah. so not to no celebrate other, the Passover. No, he's not celebrating. He's just making sure that stuff does not get out of hand. Right. Right. And why the military, extra military unit comes in, which is why also there's a fortress attached to the temple so that there is no rebellion in this place. And yet, as Christians, we would say that it is the cross that starts that revolution for us, that we are saved at the cross because of what's taking place in this Passover background that Christ is the sacrificial lamb that is our way into redemption, our way into new life. That Christ has made the sacrifice. I mean, throughout the book of John, throughout the book of Revelation, Christ is referred to as the slaughtered lamb, the one who has given so that there is new life and redemption. And so this is just opposed with This triumphal entry, yes, and we affirm that, but that's not the expectation for Jesus. It's like, we're going to conquer through military might. That's why Peter misses it, by trying to start the revolution by sword. Yeah, yeah. And I carry Peter's mentality through. I've said this before, that it seems to me that at the resurrection, Jesus should have gone around and just showed himself to all of the powers that are, and then whatever revenge needs to happen, happens then. That just seems like the natural conclusion. 
but that's not at all what happens because, as you just said, the power is in what Jesus did at the cross. Yeah, it's the cross that is the site of, of our salvation. Resurrection is the sign that Christ defeats everything, even death. But it's at the cross that salvation is made for us. Yeah, our marching orders come from the cross, yeah. not from the empty tomb, though the empty tomb is powerful and presents this amazing um, recognition that death no longer has power over us and can change our whole approach to life itself because of that. But what Jesus modeled at the cross was a response that recognized the power of doing right, the power of doing good, the power of loving, and that in so doing that, he was never defeated. It wasn't that we wait till Sunday, it's that there was no defeat. The, the setup of the martyrdom of Jesus is so powerful in contrasting the things that are sarcastically said, written to put on top, all of those things ended up being true. He is the king. He is the one who forgives. He is the one who saves and saved himself by this obedience to love. I would confess that I feel far less of those moments of power far more the moments of powerlessness, yet it's in the moments of powerlessness that we have such great opportunities. Yeah. That it is in our weakness that Christ saves. That it's in Christ's weakness yeah. that salvation comes through. That love is fully put on display on the cross. That even unto death, Christ was committing to us and committing to God. <laughs> committing to God's self, to the Father, that even under these yeah. orders, even under this plan, that it is God's, or Christ's faithfulness, to even unto death, the faithfulness. That's why John in, in first, uh, first John makes such a big deal out of, if you're going to love each other, we, we sacrifice for one another. And, and it's a total reversal of grabbing power, being for me, taking my orders for me and how I do it. I think at the cross, in between the, the, the triumphal entry and the cross, I am always struck by what it is to do the mundane as weakness. Hmm. To, to see the power of God and God's community at a dinner table, not at a political rally. To seeing the, the strength and the display of salvation in a basic meal rather than the triumphs of power that we would classically, or authority yeah. that we classically think of. It, though, having lived out our faith in the midst of that mundane, it then becomes possible to step into those arenas and do so with a posture that is born out of the revolution. So, all I have to say is let the revolution continue. <laughs> agree with that, that it is a revolution of our beings, our understanding of what God's work in the world is all about, that this is a revolution that's taking place on the cross. I would invite us to pray at this time, to consider those things, what it is to be on the journey of weakness alongside Christ. Let's pray together. 
Lord, of, of instruments of your will, your care and love, not just in our, this place, but in the different places that we inhabit, that we truly might be agents of revolution, a revolution that looks like sacrifice on the cross, that we might conform all of our actions, our words, our thoughts to the cross, to sacrifice, to love, to be alongside those who are vulnerable in the way that you, the glorious God, the creator and sustainer of everything, poured yourself out for us. That you, the glorious God, conformed to the cross. And it's at that site that we might know your love. Know the ways in which you work in this world. That there truly is victory. That the victory that is the triumphal entry is truly a victory. Not because of the power we might have or wield, but because of your love and sacrifice on the cross. Let us be your community of love. Let us be your agents of revolution. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. At this time, we're going to have uh, our Ladies of the Point featuring Rick Morrison come and sing for us. Jesus. 
If you'd be willing to stand, let me pronounce a blessing and a benediction over you. In the midst of whatever circumstances you face, wherever you might feel powerless in your life's journey, may feel God's Spirit poured over you, poured through you. And may you be willing to step into what sometimes is the most difficult thing to do, and that is in the face of difficult circumstances, to do good to be kind, to share love, to be hospitable, to extend to the world the grace and mercy of Christ and be the good news. Go in God's grace. God bless you. Mm -hmm.